over the past year, I've been weaning myself off of social media. I took Facebook off my phone and only check on it briefly in the morning on my computer. Uh, I deleted 95% of my subscriptions on YouTube. What time I do spend with social media is about 15 minutes in the morning sharing posts and uploading an image to Instagram. Since making that choice, I realized how much time I'd absently wasted browsing through those apps and services. If you had asked me what I was looking at, I might have told you that I, I spent some of that time looking for inspiration. But actually, I was just killing time. My creativity wasn't going to be sparked by watching someone else make the photographs that I wish I was making. Creativity is, is just a word, it's a noun. And it's something that only comes to life when you put in the time and do the work. And that's what successful photographers, writers, filmmakers, and musicians do. And it's this process of seeing something through from inspiration to creation that's the subject of Mark Silver's new book, Create, Tools from Seriously Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life. Mark, who you may recognize from his popular YouTube channel, interviewed a diverse selection of creative people to gain insight into what they do to make creativity an essential part of their lives. Many of them began by making the simple choice to not accept a false premise that too many people buy into. They just didn't buy that, that premise that you, you sort of separate your life into, you know, at this age, I'm creative, and then later on, I got to get down to work, and that creativity kind of goes by the boards. Or even even more, you know, to dissect your life into bits of time where you only have 12 minutes a day where you're on Instagram, and that's your creative time. And, and they, they just didn't buy that. The book offers gems of wisdom and helpful tips on how to lead a creative life. One of them includes having a state of mind that nurtures rather than stifles creativity. But David made a point in the process, in the artistic process, in the creative process, one thing that's absolutely vital is you, you just let it flow. You don't get into self-editing and you don't put on the brakes and you don't self-criticize. I know that's easier said than done, but if you go out with that mindset that if you don't, look back over your shoulder constantly, or in our case, look at that screen and go, oh, that, boy, that sucks. This is really stupid. I'm not getting anything. You know, the more of that you do, the less this thing is going to flow. And he said what it works for him is letting the flow open. And he realizes at the beginning, it's a little bit like turning on a water faucet that's been turned off for a while. You know, you get kind of brown, discolored water. You know, it's a little rusty. But as the water flows, all that rust kind of flows through and you get clean running water. We'll talk to Mark about the stories and insights he gained from his interviews and how working on the book helped him to shape and nurture his own creativity. This is Ibadi X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, Mark, it's great talking with you again. Uh, same here. It's been a while and I'm really glad to be talking about uh, this subject of creativity yeah i've been i've, I've been uh, watching your youtube channel with those videos with dan Wil milner yeah yeah, I, yeah i've known dan for a long time and uh oh really i've really enjoyed enjoyed the sort of insight he brings to the to this the discussion and you know it's kind of in line with what you're what you're doing with the, with the new book you know you've always have focused on providing conversations with people yeah, about this whole topic of creativity and how to negotiate it, and and I've always appreciated that. And and uh, this this new book provides you just another outlet to be able to do that. But you know, you, yeah. you you've been doing this for for such a long time. What led you to want to encapsulate it all in um, in a book? You know, I, I wanted to write a book before I got into all this other stuff. So it's kind of a, almost a backwards thing. I actually did write a book. My first book I wrote in the eighth grade, unpublished, sadly. It should have been published. <laughs> and it was um, – actually, I didn't do the writing. I did the photography, and a friend of mine illus or did the um, poetry that went along with it. And it was always kind of in my – 
plans to start publishing and it just, I don't know, life got in the way. And um, as I started, you know, developing and building my YouTube channel with the interviews, at some point I thought, you know, I've got a lot of content here that would really make good written content because, you know, there's such a difference between watching a video on YouTube and having a book in your hand that you can refer to out in the field, you can make notes in. I'm a I'm an old school book person, you know. I like to have that hard copy in my hands. I make lots of little liner notes and it it becomes a it becomes a useful tool. So that was kind of the direction I wanted to go in. So that you know, when I wrote my first book, it was a lot of it was based on the many interviews I'd done. Second book was on composition. Uh, I had a, another little book on video production. And then this one covers the subject of creativity, which is obviously a bigger subject than just being a photographer. But photography obviously fits in there, and it's a huge part of my life. So that's kind of how it all came about. It's it's just a big topic to have to tackle. I it is. I, I discuss creativity all the time, when it, whether I'm interviewing people, whether I'm writing, whether I'm teaching. I mean, it's, it's the big umbrella, but to sit down and to start writing it, I'd be hard-pressed to go, okay, where do I start? <laughs> so, yeah. So well, how did you tackle that? Well, I've been looking at this subject for a long time, and my previous books were, were kind of a uh, leading up to this discussion. But I, the first thing that I did was I mapped out what is the process of creativity? Because I didn't want to just make this sort of a touchy-feely, vague sort of, hey, you should be more creative. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted my, you know, my whole bent when you look at my YouTube channel or read my books is I'm, I like to get down to the nuts and bolts of things and give practical advice that will actually make a difference. So I thought, you know, okay, let me look at how creativity has worked for me, first of all. And I basically, you know, plotted out the chapters and and put that in the book. And then very shortly into it, my publisher, my editor actually said, you know, be really good, Mark, if you could get interviews with a lot of the people that you've already talked to, but specifically about creativity. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. So I started a series of interviews, but they weren't all just with photographers. You know, the amazing thing is everybody's a photographer now. So, (laughs) you know, they're somehow relating everything to photography one way or another. But, But this was a wide array of different creatives in different fields who were highly successful. And my criteria was I wanted to pick people who had really come to a point where they they had mastered their craft, whatever it was. And they were really good at it. And they were also, uh, you know, obviously willing to share their knowledge, which is always my kind of my formula anyway. So I started doing interviews and I ended up doing 12, 12 different interviews with Chris Burkhart, who I think you know, right? Did Have you had him on the show? Uh, Chris Marquardt or Chris Burkhart? Burkhart. I- Burkhart is a, well, you know, he's a phenomena now. He's got over three and a half million followers on Instagram. I interviewed him about 10 years ago when he was pretty young, and he's mm-hmm. become a sensation as a photographer. But I wanted to take the, that interview and all my other ones beyond just photography and talk about, okay, how do you instill creativity as a parent? How do you block out time and make, you know, what are the what are the things that you do that, that enhance creativity in your own life and for other people? Camille Seaman, who's a wonderful uh, natural photographer, we, we, I met up with her. Actually, she's moved to Ireland, so we had that discussion via Skype to Ireland with a very slow internet connection. So that was an interesting challenge, but we, we managed to make it work. On and on. So each one of these people had their own input. And these stories were fascinating. How they came from whatever they started with to a point of being highly creative. And I'm going to tell you one in particular that I think stands out amongst all these. And this is Chris McCaskill, who was the co-founder of Smug Mug with his his son, Mm -hmm. Don. 
So Chris's story is, I don't know if you know it, but it's remarkable. And he told me this in passing once. I was doing an, uh, an event at Smug Mug, and while we we're setting up the equipment, he just sort of told me these things. I almost didn't believe it. But he said, you know, I grew up on the streets of Oakland, California, homeless. Really, Chris? <laughs> I would never have guessed that. So it, it was always in the back of my mind to kind of delve into what's this story? What's the rest of it? And so in the book, he told me the whole thing. But what you have to almost, you know, the, I, I'm almost giving the punchline away, but here's the remarkable thing. So he grew up homeless on the streets of Oakland. His mother was a research scientist and unfortunately had an increasing mental illness problem and ended up, you know, really being diagnosed as schizophrenic and ended up on the streets with him. And that's how he grew up, you know, from something like age five to 12. He was living under bridges and, you know, eating in soup kitchens and, you know, that was his life. He eventually kind of got rescued out of that and went to high school, regular high school, and it was just unbelievable. You know, the opportunities that people had just blew his mind. Well, Chris went on from there to earn his MBA at Stanford, to work with Steve Jobs, become a serial entrepreneur, and, and basically build this life that anybody would be envious of. But I think the remarkable thing is he says, you know, a day doesn't pass that I don't just realize how much we have and how how much opportunity there is there, which I feel is an incredibly important message. You know, here we are in a wealthy country that's got all sorts of resources, and it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't take these resources for granted. And, and most importantly, we shouldn't take our own creative urges for granted. So that was one of the stories that stood out. And there's 11 others from all sorts of interesting people. One of them is Nancy Cartwright, who's the voice of Bart Simpson. Right. Mm -hmm. right? Actually, she's not only the voice of Bart Simpson. She's like nine other voices on The Simpsons and dozens of other ones. And she told the story about how she just, you know, when she was in high school, learned that she could use her voice. And then just kept pursuing that to the point where she has an unbelievable career. You know, she, every one of these people had to overcome things. It didn't just, life didn't just sort of dish it out to them on a, on a silver platter. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that I, I think that at some point, every, every child is creative in, in some way. You know, they yeah. draw, they sing, they dance, they do impressions, whatever it is. But at some point it gets stifled for, whatever, yeah, yeah. for whatever reason. And, and there are some people who are able to not allow that creativity, that desire to be to be stifled, as you said. Yeah. But I think a lot, a lot of what's made the difference in my life has been that there at some point there was someone to encourage me. And I'm wondering that in the stories that you that you, you know, discovered as a result of these conversations, how how much of it was reliant on having someone else? A mentor. A mentor, a friend, somebody yeah. to say, you can do this. I bet, and I didn't necessarily dig in on every single one of those conversations, but but for sure that was brought up by most of them, that there was someone that did mentor them and that stood out as an example that they could follow. In my case, as a photographer, I had an uncle who happened to be a Top Gun pilot in World War II. His name was Sam Silber, but everybody called him Sambo. So he was my uncle Sambo, and he was a photographer. So with really tiny amounts of, you know, training, it wasn't, it wasn't really much, but things like he showed me how to frame a photograph. You know, that made all the difference in the world, just going from, hey, I'll just, you know, take a shot of this tree to framing it. All of a sudden, I had a tool. And he just in very small ways mentored me. And then the biggest thing he did amongst, you know, just his encouragement was he one day sent me a Rolleiflex that for some reason he had stopped using. 
And that was a game changer for me. This two and a quarter square, beautiful camera. And I tell the story about how my last semester of high school, I managed to finesse, finagle, connive, however you want to put it, the principal of my school to let me go to Mexico for the last semester of high school instead of sitting in that boring classroom. And I took that Rolleiflex with me and took dozens and dozens of rolls and came back with some of the best photos of my life. But clearly having someone in your life that kind of leads you in the right direction is a huge factor. There's no doubt about that. So when you were interviewing these people, I'm, I'm sure that you were sort of piecing together, what do they have in common? So we just <laughs> talked about sort of yeah. mentorship. And, and a lot of people assume that these people who are successful are somehow unique. That they're endowed uniquely talented, something. they're blessed, they're you know, yeah. endowed in some way. And from all the conversations I've ever had, I think that is, uh, it's not true. It's not true. But, There's no question about yeah, that. Yeah, so what was sort of the common denominator that you heard from all of these people that, that you felt was essential to them being able to live a creative life? It's almost like uh, Peter Pan. They just didn't grow up in the, in the sense, and I don't mean that in a, a weird way. I mean, they, I mean... We, we touched upon it, you know, that life has a way of just pounding down that creativity. It's kind of a weird thing. As kids, we're encouraged and we're given all sorts of opportunities to create. You know, there's finger painting and there's drawing and there's music and poetry, whatever people get into. Even sports, you know, it's a very creative thing. But then, you know, it just you could just draw a curve, I think, after grade school and high school and for sure college. And absolutely, when you get that first job, it's sort of like a tube of toothpaste that's been squeezed out tight, totally. And there's not much left unless you happen to be fortunate enough to get a creative job like my kids have done. Mm -hmm. They've managed to seek out these highly creative jobs, but it it just gets squished out. Well, I think the you know, and people sort of get hypnotized into this nine to five drudgery and then they come home and they're so exhausted they don't think they have the time to pursue anything creative. Which, by the way, I devoted an entire chapter just to showing how you do have enough time and sort of debunking that. The common denominator, I think, of all these guys is that they didn't buy into that. Or if they did, they managed to get themselves out of it. It's, I'm sure they did to some degree. I mean, we, we, we all kind of do. But they just didn't buy that, that premise that you, you sort of separate your life into, you know, at this age, I'm creative. And then later on, I got to get down to work. And that creativity kind of goes by the boards. Or even... Even more, you know, to dissect your life into bits of time where you only have 12 minutes a day where you're on Instagram and that's your creative time. And, and they, they just didn't buy that. And I think that's one of the big messages of the book is not only should you not buy that and you should shake off this hypnotic trance that our culture sort of instills upon us. I give you ways to do that. I give some practical tools to put more creativity into your life. And clearly as photographers, I think one of the biggest things we all face is, you know, how not to plagiarize ourselves, how not to take the same photograph over and over again, and how to look with fresh eyes and a fresh mind to to find something different. And But at the same time, to develop your voice, but not just stay stuck in a certain rut that that's all there is to it because eventually you're going to burn out if, if that happens. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I completely feel you on that. I mean, the, that yeah. that's always what I'm resisting is duplicating myself. I, I, oh, man. when I go out and shoot and I tell my students, I'm, my only goal is one picture mm -hmm. and I'm not, and I'm even not saying that it has to be a great picture. It just has to be a picture that I've not attempted before. And it doesn't even have to be successful, right? But if I can look at the picture and, 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 and see that I'm stretching myself, that I'm challenging myself, then that's a good day for me. But it's, it's, it's a hard thing because so much of people's, 
I think, fight in in terms of reclaiming their creativity, especially if it's been stomped down and repressed for a very long time, is the fact this 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 onus that they have to be good every time they go out there and take a picture or every time they sit down to write a story, and that that perfectionism is so oppressive and so paralyzing. So what are some of the suggestions that you have in your book to be able to to get past those moments so that you can embrace the fact that sometimes you you have to fail in terms of being creative, that failure and and being disappointed with your results is part and parcel for the course? You know, it's interesting that came up with almost everybody, you know, all those negative voices inside your head or external voices, which are even worse that basically tell you you're not good enough or you're not doing anything worthwhile or whatever. One of them that stands out on that is David Campbell. Now, you may not recognize that name. He's the father of Beck, first of all. But as a producer, as a musician himself, and as um, a leader of, of various different bands, he's he has somehow produced or been a part of over 450 gold and platinum albums. And the list of people he's worked with just would, you know, you'd you'd recognize every one of them. But David made a point in the process, in the artistic process, in the creative process, one thing that's absolutely vital is you you just let it flow. You don't get into self-editing and you don't put on the brakes and you don't self-criticize. I know that's easier said than done, Mm -hmm. but if you go out with that mindset that if you don't, look back over your shoulder constantly, or in our case, look at that screen and go, oh, boy, that sucks. This is really stupid. I'm not getting anything. You know, the more of that you do, the less this thing is going to flow. And he said what works for him is letting the flow open. And he realizes at the beginning, it's a little bit like turning on a water faucet that's been turned off for a while. You know, you get kind of brown, discolored water. You know, it's a little rusty. mm -hmm. But as the water flows, all that rust kind of flows through and you get clean running water. And life works that way, too. You know, the first bits are like, eh, whatever, you know. But if you don't stop, you don't self-criticize and you don't like try to self-edit, which, by the way, is a totally separate process. And I Mm -hmm. delineate that your editing hat is totally different than your shooting hat. When you're shooting, you're shooting, you're not thinking about, oh, you know, I should do this or that or try to edit it right on the spot. Let that be another part of the process. But that's the key right there is just let the flow go. Go with the flow, you know, is the old 60s mantra, but it still works. And if you do that, you're going to find that the things start to pick up. And I'm sure you've noticed that. I noticed that, you know. Oh, yeah. You get in the zone. And I completely embrace that idea. And but it's 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 a it's a thing that you can't think yourself out of. The All only right. solution I have ever found for that is to sit down and write or go out and make the photographs. I cannot reason myself out of that editor being in yeah. the midst of the process of creativity. Too true. Because you're almost like when you yeah, when you start reasoning with it, you're you're almost like falling for it right there. Mm -hmm. So because there is that creative spark that maybe this won't work, but so what I'm making, I'm moving in that direction. I'm making something happen. And I, this is another thing, Keith code, who is a, was a champion motorcycle racer. You might think, wow, what's a motorcycle racer got to do with creativity? Well, it turns out he's an incredibly talented guy. And he also founded the California Superbike School. He's a photographer as well. But Keith said, you know, you've got to take those moments of where you have those sparks and you've got to write them down or you've got to put them in a notebook or you've got to do something right then or else it's just going to fly away. Mm-hmm. And we all have those moments. So uh, I, I'm a huge believer in notebooks. You should see how many notebooks I have. And sometimes I've got two notebooks going at once. A very important process that, you know, whether you formally call it journaling, I do. It's, it's a common denominator for many, many, many creative people, uh, many more than I could put in the book. 
Uh, in fact, Tim Ferriss, I saw in an interview he did with uh, Chase Jarvis not too long ago. And Tim said, hey, I found that two of the most outstanding points with highly creative people, two of them are, number one, they always start their day off doing something that's inspirational. In my case, I sit down and read uh, first thing in the morning. People know, hey, don't mess with Mark. He's over there in his own little world. <laughs> He's drinking coffee. Don't go, don't go chat with him. I, and I'm, I make that a really kind of a firm rule because I'm trying to get my mind set and mostly declutter it. And, and, you know, okay, get some new ideas and get things flowing. And then somewhere in that process, I've got my little notebook with me and I start jotting down ideas. Whether I even pursue any of those ideas that day or, or never doesn't matter. It's that I'm getting things, I'm getting the gunk out. I'm, I'm putting, I'm spraying WD-40 on the, on those parts that get kind of cranky, you know, and, and I'm loosening things up and it helps me basically prepare for the day. So anyway, it's interesting that to hear Tim Ferriss say that, well, those were two common denominators that he found with very creative people. And how easy is that to do? Find some time, carve it out, get up a little earlier, whatever you have to do, use that for inspiration and set the tone for the whole day. You know, win the, win the morning, win the day is his motto. Yeah. And I, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, I usually start my morning with um, exercise and meditation, just mm -hmm. just to be able to just to focus on myself, not all the noise in my head. Yeah, uh, and I think just taking that 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 time for myself can help set the tone, not just for the rest of the day, but for those moments that I need to be creative. Because I I, I tell people I roll out of bed crazy. You know, so it's like I need to I need I to sort of quiet all the voices in my head. And even if it's just for 15 minutes, uh, it just helps to give me a perspective of what I can and want to accomplish that day. And yeah. uh, and I, and all the interviews that I've read or seen about people who are successful and, and creative it, it, is that they oftentimes have that self time in, yeah. in the morning, whether or not they go out that day and actually create something that they make that daily practice an essential part of their lives. And I think that it, it primes the pump for those moments when you are going to pick up a paintbrush or get down at the computer and write something or go out and make a, a photograph. When you when you make the, those parts and pieces a daily part of your practice, um, you don't necessarily have to be creative every day, but you make it likely that when you do, you're making the most out of that time. So true. Absolutely true. Hey, here's another one, you know, because I, I put a lot of what I, I, I like to get, as I mentioned, I like to give practical things that people can do. And this is incredible. I put a whole chapter on this. So there was a research project done at Stanford University in 2014 on creativity. And they found that people who went on walks were 60% more creative than those who just sort of sat in their cubicle or desk or, or looked at their computer. There was a 60% increase in creativity. They did a little testing, you know. And I believe that I am a huge fan of walking. I mean, to extreme, I do long, long, long backpacking trips, which is a long, long walk. But even a 15, well, a 15 is a kind of short walk for me, but, you know, 30 minutes, hour and a half, whatever, and get off your electronics. Mm -hmm. Don't don't go on a walk uh, looking at your iPhone. That just defeats the whole purpose. <laughs> I do it. I'm sometimes guilty of it, but boy, I really try to curb that because what you want to be doing is looking out. You know, in our modern world, we're so pushed back by computers and electronics and things that, that keep your attention so focused close up yeah. that it's getting out, looking, freshening up your mind. And those are the two things kind of bookends in my day, the morning kind of uh, journaling and an afternoon walk sort of like uh, yeah, it keeps you from being having all that crazy crap going on. You know, it kind of drains it away. Yeah, I took Facebook off of my phone. So the only time I'm on uh, it is in the morning when I, you know, send birthday wishes. 
yeah. or post something with respect to the show. Uh, with YouTube, I just I just stopped subscribing to like ninety percent of the channels I was subscribing to. Just and leave just, mine in there. Don't, 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 don't unsubscribe. <laughs> you're included. You're included. <laughs> okay, good. But it was just it was just that I I just felt like I was using that and other other things as distractions. You know, and and it's so that's what I mean. Really, one of the biggest things that, that interferes with our creativity, like you sit down to write, and you're you know you're running through that little whether you want to call it writer's block or just writer's pause there's a lag there and you mm-hmm. go, how am i going to get going on this and if something pops up that distracts you oh wow yeah i should look at that thing on facebook right yeah what is that little instagram post no 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 because that's just that's just going to keep happening until <laughs> you turn those things off and you have a, you know a computer screen in the old days remember those we had the blinking cursor and that was it. Mm-hmm. And in some, so many ways that was better than what we've got now where we've got everything dialed in to distract you. And we have to turn that stuff off and just, you know, if you're going to write, write. If you're going to edit a photograph, edit a photograph or a video or whatever it is. Don't, don't let yourself get distracted. Mm-hmm. The year is almost over, but we still have plenty of work to do. We've almost wrapped up production for this season, but we are already working hard on our 14th, which will include our 500th episode. We were recently recognized as one of the top five photography podcasts in an article that was published on F-Stoppers. And as much as the recognition pleases me, it's the messages that I get from you that mean the most to me. When you tell me how this show has and continues to inspire you and has even changed your life, I'm thrilled and humbled to hear that. It's a big reason I do this and why I will never see this as just my show. I'm one of the people that make it happen, but if it wasn't for you listening and supporting us, I would be just some Yahoo blowing wind into a microphone. We haven't relied on advertisers and sponsors for a while now, and for good reason. I want this show to be shaped by what you want and need. But to do that, we need your financial support. So if you haven't already, please consider supporting the show by becoming a Patreon supporter. By contributing only $5 or more a month, you help us to deliver these conversations to you every month and every year. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame and become a Patreon supporter today. Thanks. Well, you know, there have been a lot of books on creativity. And one of the things that I think people get very inspired afterwards and they feel like, okay, now I'm going to go out and do it. But it's kind of, it kind of tapers off and life takes over. So, so what are some of the things that you have in the book that, that you think, can help people to sort of sustain the momentum after being inspired and being educated, but after reading Create. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that because one of the features of the book is uh, at the end of every chapter, I have two things. First of all, I have what's called summarizing questions. I I kind of follow the the method of education that Socrates developed, which was not to teach, but to ask questions. And, you know, that's how we really learn. We, if you look back on your best teachers, they were the ones that asked questions that you had to answer and figure out for yourself. Mm-hmm. The, ones that, the ones that just tried to spoon feed you a lot of data, you don't even remember their names anymore. But the ones who asked questions were the ones that, you, that stand out in your mind. And so I'm asking questions. And I want people to, to not just read this material. I want them to make the time to answer these questions because that's where the changes can occur. So first I ask questions about what we covered and they're not reading quizzes at all. They're, they're like, um, here's an example. So in this chapter, I'm talking about, um, the cycle of creativity, which very briefly, I should describe this. So the cycle of creativity, first you visualize something, you know, Ansel Adams said that the, the secret or the key to a photograph was that you you first visualize it before you press the shutter. And the difference between a snapshot and a photograph is the fact that the photographer who visualizes first 
is making a photograph. You know, he says, you don't take a photograph, you make it. Mm-hmm. You're, but you have to start with your own vision. Okay, so from visualizing it, the next step is you have to know your tools. In the case of photography, you got to know your equipment. Don't let the equipment get in the way. Know it well enough so that it doesn't encumber you. And then you've got you've to work your craft. And we were talking about that. Let it flow. Don't stop. But find time and make time to work your craft. It won't just happen by itself. You've got to make time for it. Whether it's 20 minutes or two hours or two days or whatever, whatever you've got, you've got to find that time and make that time. So that's called working your craft. And the fourth stage of this is what we touched upon, too, is editing. And don't mix, don't mix these stages up. Editing is its own process after you've already done something. Um, Stephen King, you know, he's a big believer in let it flow and then come back on your rewrite or your edit, and you're probably gonna throw out 10 to 15% of what you wrote. Well, as photographers, we, we do a lot more than that. You know, we <laughs> might, like you said, we might go out and photograph a whole day and fill up an entire card and come back with one photograph that we're, we think, oh, that's pretty darn good, you know, maybe whatever. So you're gonna edit it down. Um, and then the final stage is getting it out to the world. You've got to do something and get it off your computer and let other people see it. And there's many ways to do that. So, oh, one of the things I, I do is I ask this kind of question. Well, list three excuses you've had for not getting into production. And I ask for excuses because those are the things that, you know, they're, they're, they're there. We might as well vocalize them or write them down because the minute you start looking at those things and you write them down, you go, huh, what do you know? I have been doing that. You might get an aha, but at least you're going to get some kind of separation between what you've been doing and what you want to be doing. So I ask questions like that. And then um, after I've asked those questions, five or six of them usually, I uh, give people exercises of, of practical things to do, to put, again, to put into the real world what they've just read. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's not going to do any good to just read a bunch of information and not implement it. Yeah, the writing down and doing the exercise are essential. I mean, really, it's yeah, you know, it's it's the only way you really learn because you can you can watch something, you can hear something, and it'll just go one ear and not the other. Yeah, um, sitting down and actually taking the contrary action is really essential to making any sort of change. It is, it is, and the, and you know, and looking at excuses, being honest with yourself, stripping those away is a huge factor because I, again, that was something a lot of these people brought up that I was interviewing, that they they could strip away sort of common misconceptions and get rid of those. And when you strip those away, you find there's some freedom there. You can do something you couldn't do before. It's very important. Yeah. I mean, we talked earlier about mentors being sort of a, a resource in terms of helping people along, but community is, is, a, is a big part of it. Yeah. And, and, and choosing the right community, I think, is essential because there, there are a lot of groups out there and sometimes they're not necessarily going to be the best people for whom to associate yourself with if you want to sort of achieve certain yeah. things creatively. But I can understand that some people feel like, well, they're in a wasteland, right? And so they're just reaching for anyone either online or in their community. So I know it's kind of a tricky question, but nevertheless, is how how do you, one, find the right community and how do you discern whether or not it is a good fit and it's not just going to lead you to walking in the wrong direction or, or, or really stifling your growth? Yeah. And I've been through both of those, you know, or, or, you know, even, I don't know if it's worse or it's on the same level where you just get a bunch of likes. What good is that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, like. I mean, that's not a critique. Okay, so you liked it. Well, what? What did you like about it? Get, tell me what resonated for you. And that's, that's useful. You know, um, I had this interesting mentor when I was first learning photography, he was, uh, my dad was a, a physician and one of his patients was a, a minister. His name was Father Vintner and he was a photographer, an avid photographer. 
And he did something really interesting. He would take my negatives and print them. And then on the back of these prints, he would type a little critique. It was really, I still have them typed. You know, it's funny. He didn't even handwrite them. But his critiques were spot on. They were like, you know, what would have happened if you'd stepped a little closer? And he was right. You know, it was, I was too far back in the frame and it didn't, it didn't highlight the subject. And so it wasn't just like, I like this, I don't like that. He gave me some spot on points that I could make a change with. And I think the answer to your question is, if you can find yourself in a situation where uh, the community will give you real feedback and you can do something with that feedback, that's really important. In writing my books, for instance, I send before, you know, finalizing, before doing my final edit, I send uh, copies out to beta readers. And it's a whole variety of them. Some of them I know very well and I really trust them. And some are just, I don't know these people. But I don't care because I want to get feedback from the audience. You know, I need a cross-section. And I really look at their comments and I take them to heart. Even if it's, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm getting some feedback. Like, I don't really understand what you just said there, Mark. Well, that's an important point. If they didn't understand it, maybe I didn't explain it well enough, or maybe I missed something. Here's a perfect example. I was talking about analog photography in a darkroom. And, you know, to me, it's just so commonplace that I assumed everybody knew what a negative was. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. you and I know what negatives are. It's hard to believe that somebody wouldn't. It's like, do you know what a coffee cup is? or a glass of water. But not, hey, especially in the digital world, somebody, one of the beta readers said, well, what's a negative? Huh, what do you know? So I not only described it, but I showed an example of one of my photographs with, as a negative, 35 millimeter strip of film with sprockets on it, boom, on the left side, side of the page, and the right side, what it looked like when it was printed. And I had to really describe what, what that process was. And they read it again. Oh, I get it. Now I get what you're talking about. So that's the kind of feedback you want. You you want honest a critique or notes that then cause you to do something or not. I mean, I don't I don't have a knee jerk reaction. If somebody and definitely people gave me suggestions I didn't follow, fine. But at least I I I have you know, put it out there to the world and gotten something back. And now I have a better understanding and a better idea, you know, how it's resonating or not with that community. So look for that kind of community that can give you definite positive critiquing or notes. And that's my best advice. It's not always easy to find, but that's where you should be looking. So from from all these interviews that you did and putting together the book, what insights did you gain about your own creativity? Wow, that is a really good question. I need to follow my own advice. (laughs) Number one, I need to do these things. That that I have found and found from talking to these people that 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 um, add to their creativity. I get I get stuck like everybody else. I beat myself up like everybody else. But because I've I've got a framework, I can pull myself out of it. And this is really important because you know the the biggest point of that stifles your creativity is being. Basically, you have a purpose. You you want to write a poem. You want to write an essay. You want to write a book. You want to take a series of photographs. You want to make a film, whatever it is. You want to cook a great meal. You know, it, it's as simple as that. And what can happen is something pushes back against it and causes that purpose to get blunted. And as soon as your purpose gets blunted, the life just drains out of you. You just want to give up. We've all been there. And I, rec- I can recognize that happening and go, wait a minute, don't just follow through this thing like, like it's some sort of natural course that I have to go through over the waterfall and fall down and hit the rocks below. I can stop and go, wait, irk, you know, don't buy into that crap. 
And that's really important. That's keeping, you know, kind of keeping my head on this thing. And that's kind of on a, an extreme point, but I think more on a day-to-day level, it's just taking a look at how, how can I add creativity to whatever it is I'm doing? And here's a good example. I need to market my book more. Well, okay, let's find some creative ways to do that. What are, what are the things I really need to do to find more people who, who are interested in this subject? And obviously, there's a lot of people who are interested in creativity. So it's just a matter of reaching them and telling a story and hopefully getting them interested in it. But those are some of the kind of day-to-day things that I, that I utilize out of the book. Yeah, for me, the, the, the writing that we spoke about earlier is really, really helps because um, I, I, I find that I write about what the process felt like when I was making the photographs, whether right. I was having a great day, whether I was struggling, whether I felt like I made great pictures, whether they all sucked. And, yeah. and writing down what I was feeling and what I was experiencing and why just gave me a greater understanding of my own process. And so when those feelings came up, I had a, I had a better understanding of what was going on. And it, it helped me to not give so much weight to those negative feelings. Because when, yeah. when you just feel them, and if you've been feeling them all your life, they've dictated a bunch of actions that you know aren't conducive to being creative. But when you sit down and write it down, you're kind of able to t- sort of take a step back. And that allows me to sort of take that beat between mm-hmm. feeling it yeah. and either acting the way I've always acted or making an alternative choice, which the alternative choice is going out and taking the picture or you know, putting that first paragraph down on the page. There's something to be said for, for creating that beat yes. between the feeling and whatever action that you take because you're making a choice every time you feel those feelings. Yeah. You're making a choice either to be creative or not to be creative. So you just got to find yourself that little breathing room so you can make the choice that you really uh, are hunkering to, to make. So true. Absolutely. Yeah, and those tools help you do that. There's no question about that. Those are, those are really important tools to keep in your toolkit. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, you know, we talked about him early on. Dan Milner, who um, I've known for quite a while, and we've done a, we did some interviews back in 2010, I think was my first interview with him. And then over the last few months, we've gotten to know each other a lot more. And I really like not only his photography, but I like the way he explains what he does. And I learn a lot from him. He's now on my channel as a regular. He's pretty much uh, every week. Check him out because the guy, here's the deal with Dan, is he is no BS. He's a straight shooter. He tells you what he runs into. He tells you how he solves those problems. And his problems are pretty universal. You know, his last video you put up all... It uh, starts off with all the mistakes he's made, you know, and, and like who hasn't made these same mistakes? So I really like him because he's a photographer, but he's a great person and he's easy to, to understand, easy to listen to, and you're going to learn a lot from him. And one of the key things is he makes this point, a photograph isn't necessarily a standalone item. You know, many times they are, but what he tends to do is he's a storyteller. So he puts together stories with his photographs and most of us at some point have to do that or want to do that. So it's really important to learn that journalistic approach to put together a linear story. So he'll tell you how to do that. So check out Dan and you'll find you're going to love him. He's yeah. on my cha- channel, easy to find. Yeah, I interviewed him back in the early days of the show. So if people haven't listened to that interview, you should, should check it out. And hopefully someday soon, I'll, I'll have him back on the show. Cool. But uh, Mark, thank you so much. And, uh, thank you. And where can people find, find your book? The, you can go to Amazon. That's always an easy way to find it. 
Uh, type my name in to Amazon, but make sure you spell it, M-A-R-C, Silber, S-I-L-B, like boy, E-R. Or you can go to my channel. Um, you can go to my website, uh, silberstudios.com. And either way, if you just type my name into Google, you'll you'll see it either in any case. You'll see my videos and my books. Right. Well, Mark, thanks again. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And here's to more creativity for this new year that's coming up. Amen. Thanks to Mark for sharing his time and story with us. Find out more about him, his book, and his work by visiting his website, silverstudios.com. You can also support the show by writing a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And even better, if you really enjoy an episode, spread the word via an email to a friend, a post on your social networks, or word of mouth. It makes all the difference. So thanks for your support and being a part of the TCF community. And check out our YouTube channel where I offer comments on photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr poll. Check out the TCF Flickr poll and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. My latest book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. You can purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code PORELLO40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount and receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks by signing up for the Candid Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or donating through PayPal. Now, not all episodes may be available on your podcaster app of choice, so to download, listen, and share any and all episodes of The Candid Frame, download the TCF app for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your support, it's free. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.